Welcome to the Settle Cane Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Smith, broadcasting from the Aorta of America, beautiful festival city, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, where we pump out reason and pierce through the propaganda. Here we go. Today is December 2nd, 2023. And Christmas is rapidly approaching, along with our inevitable mortal demise. Hopefully we all live to a ripe old age and enjoy the fruits of our labor and progeny. But that's not always the case, as evidenced by the work of our guest today, Mr. William Ramsey. Today we are going to venture a little off the beaten path and peer into the void, as our friend Hervoy Morch says. We'll be discussing his new book, The Smiley Face Killers, as well as his other work, William Ramsey is an attorney, author, researcher, documentarian, and broadcaster. He has written multiple books, including Prophet of Evil, Alistair Crowley Abomination, Devil Worship and Deception in the West Memphis Three Murders, along with more. He has also made five documentaries and worked as a producer for the Ed Opperman Report for three years. He has a top-rated true crime podcast called William Ramsey Investigates, which I highly encourage you to check out. William Ramsey is a Christian, and he considers his books, films, and broadcasts together as a Christian ministry with the intent to expose evil in conformance with what Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. The works are to inform and edify as well as expose the darkness in the present time. If you're new to the Subtle Cane Podcast, thank you for gracing us with your virtual presence. If you're a returning listener, thank you for your continued support. It is much appreciated. I hope you enjoy this discussion as much as I did. This is episode 58 of the Subtle Cane Podcast, Interview with William Ramsey, the Smiley Face Killers. Let's get to it. All right, and today we are joined by Mr. William Ramsey. Uh, I did a short bio in the intro, but uh, thanks for coming on the show today, William. Would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself, about how you got started, and uh, sort of what's your inspiration for um, investigating the occult and its uh, in, and its uh, ties to societal influences in crime? That's a good question. I mean, it kind of goes back, kind of losing trust in the corporate media. So I think that that happened decades ago, actually. So I had to do a lot of my own research, and also kind of noticing that like this is happening, like these are all these. Uh, references and things that aren't really being talked about, certainly not on the on the corporate media, but even the alternate media. So kind of builds up in your brain like I really want to. This is important. It's everywhere. It's in your films, music. There's all kinds of esoteric references. And some people have addressed it. I think like Bill Cooper uh, talked about it more, maybe a little bit of Alex Jones. But um, so it really was something that I kind of was working on. And then it just seemed like it all kind of came together when I wrote my first book in 2010 about Aleister Crowley, because that was kind of where a lot of, he was kind of a nexus point for everything in the kind of Western esotericism leading up to him and then after him. So uh, that was really 2010 when I published, published my first book. And then I kind of just kind of kept doing the research. I think that I just became kind of a research hound, you know, I was really interested in finding out. It's kind of interesting because I had a conventional education but never really talked about that. I wasn't a member of secret society or initiated or anything like that. So these types of topics were important to me. And you just notice like so many people in power are associated with like skull and bones in Yale or something like that. So I would say that it was really kind of a lot of the stuff in the public that I've done that's been publicized was really just to, for my own curiosity. Like these are questions that I wanted to know and I wanted to answer. And a lot of times they weren't, the subjects that I was looking into were not dealt with in the public. I didn't try to emulate anybody else. I was trying to figure it out for myself. So I would say that that's really where it started and it really hasn't, ended. it really hasn't ended. Like I've kind of been writing for 13 years uh, publicly. And like my most recent book is kind of on the same type of strange underground uh, occurrences that surface them, that, that surface in our real world. Like you talk about, it's in our culture. It suffuses our entire like culture. Some of these people who are making these films are clearly basing them on their kind of uh, esoteric uh, or esoteric ideas. So 
I think that was really kind of the beginning and leading up to the present. In this this recent book that you released, The Smiley Face Killers, what what led you down that path initially? How did you how did you get turned on to the the connection or or was that something that was I, I don't remember if that was something out in the media in general or if that was a tie that you uh specifically had started making? I think that came out of kind of my research when I was researching Crowley. It was Children of the Beast was my third book. I published that in 2014. And during Mm -hmm. that, I was like seeing Alan Moore and uh, the Watchmen and the comedian is a character in there. So I just saw the smiley face and I was like, oh, I remember hearing on Coast to Coast there was a show on this, this phenomenon. And so I just started to make ties from a different angle, maybe. And hearing that story, I thought it was an urban myth or fake, like Sasquatch or something like that, or the Loch Ness monster. But I just remember categorizing it in the back of my head. Uh, um, I can remember categorizing it in the back of my head, and yeah. um, so that's where it grew out. And I really started studying it, and it led up to my first documentary in 2017. And so that was uh, that was it. So then I just kind of kept researching, and I came across other researchers, Jim Smith. And some people came to me, uh, Igor Sarsky, with kind of insights that I hadn't seen before. I think Jim Smith was in. I obviously, I researched the original guys who were Gilbertson and Gannon. But I never really left that that topic. And, and then it kind of grew in the, after kind of COVID and after the uh, lockdowns and stuff like that. It picked up really in 2022 and 2023. And so I really felt the need to like... Uh, memorialize those in a book and so that led to my book that i published in september and for the and for the listeners that that aren't really familiar would you mind giving a a short background of the smiley face killers phenomena and and how how that path came in front of you as far as finding those connections and what the actual crimes looked like yeah i mean i think it comes the original name it got it's kind of label from the two original investigators, Gilbertson and Gannon, who had this phenomenon, they've separately saw this phenomenon taking place, but also there was an association with the symbol with it, right? So it got its name, Smiley Face Killers. Gannon was in New York City. Gilbertson, I think, is in Wisconsin. And so Mm -hmm. they kind of came together and started researching and are still researching it together, is my understanding. But that's how it got its name. The phenomenon is a young man being out at a bar, disappearing, separated from friends. Usually doesn't go alone. Sometimes they do. Separated mm-hmm. at a party or a music venue and then disappears, only later to be found later, often to times previously searched in water. And so it's still happening to this day. There's been cases within the last month in Chicago, believe it or not. So, uh, But that's kind of like this pattern. And people associated with the region, like the northwest, the northeast of the United States, they call it the I-45 killer. But mm-hmm. once you research it, you realize the phenomenon is happening all over the place, all over the world, really. It's happening in the UK, Europe. And they're very strange. What's odd, too, about them is these are like men in the prime of their lives, right? They're like 21. So they should be very healthy and should, if they fall into water, just pop right back out. But so nobody yeah. sees them disappear. Nobody sees them go into water either, which is also very suspicious. So why is this happening? Are there tax screens done? Or is there like a rohypnol or um, GHB or anything along? It's a good those? question. It's a good question. They did talk screens in some of the cases. I think think some of the original cases that were covered by Gilbert Gilbert and Gannon, they did toxicity screens and found high or elevated elements of GHB. So that has happened in some cases. A lot of these cases are typified as accidents so that the police really don't go into further research. There have been cases that the designation uh, determination of the police goes from accidental to intentional or uh, misadventure or homicide. One of the cases was Chris Jenkins uh, that that happened to. And that was Minneapolis, Minnesota, where the police said, hey, it's an accident. Then they said, they looked at the facts again and said, oh, this is obviously some form of murder. But yeah, talk screens do happen. And then autopsies are taken. And a lot of times they're not shared with the family. So the family doesn't know. Some of these guys have been injured. They've been injured and they find discovered only later, sometimes on a third party analysis of the autopsy or something like that. So a lot of some of these guys have clearly been injured 
or tortured, which is why I put it into that title. So it's the um, so those cases that that's happened to. It's uh, let's see, it's Dakota James, Tommy Booth in Philadelphia, and Patrick McNeil have all they've all discovered that they've been tortured one way or another. So you have you have one of the highest rated uh, true crime podcasts out there, and have you and also have a are a member of the bar, yes, in California. So you're an attorney, so you really understand the law. And um, I was just curious how how law enforcement has has been with you uh, uh, with your research. Have, have they been helpful? Has there been pushback? Is what what kind of? I have not really been in contact with law enforcement. I, my understanding is some of these cases have involved federal law enforcement. I okay. do believe some of my ideas and research have filtered out into just the general culture, which includes law enforcement. So they might be looking for things that they may may not have. Um, but I don't I haven't really had any formal connection with that. They could reach out to me easily if they wanted to. Um, but I think this book will really change or enhance people's understanding of this phenomenon and show that it is really an occurrence. It's not some. These aren't accidental drownings. I don't believe they're accidental drownings at all. And I've just, I have in my new book, I have a full section on these people who've tried to debunk this as as a real kind of criminal event. And I think I've done a good job of showing like there's no way these are accidents. Yeah, and this goes back to uh, is 1996, 1990, 1997 was uh, Patrick McNeil. Some people have said there's early one earlier cases than that, but nobody sent me anything. Like I've had these disputes online. Like there's earlier cases. Well, what are they? Um, those that's the earliest case that Gilbert and Gannon, Gilbertson and Gannon had. So that's kind of one of the interesting aspects of this whole phenomenon is that it's taking place in a very kind of you know three decades of time, really twenty five years, quarter century. And so I think that that's kind of a curious aspect of it. Why why hasn't this been happening? For year, you know, for going back to the fifties or sixties, or uh, there's up he, uh, upticks of of people being found dead in water. Um, so it is how, it is uh, kind of strange. It's extremely strange, and and I would encourage everybody to um, read this book because I'm I'm looking forward to I've I've uh, watched the documentary. I've listened to some of your um, other interviews and. Well, a lot of your other interviews, but specifically about the smiley face killers and find it so intriguing. Um, it's it's pretty dark material. And as as a Christian, I was just curious, like, um, how, how has this research impacted you? Um, it, does it weigh on you? And do you feel like you're under attack ever? Is that? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I don't think it's really that pleasant. I've kind of gotten you been inured to it like i've got adapted to it but i mean i do take precautions i know these are dang, you know dangerous uh, situations i think there's serial killers out there but yeah. um i felt compelled to do it because nobody else was really kind of doing it as far as i could tell so i thought that it was kind of my duty to at least memorialize this in writing and it kind of it's really my book is almost like an in memoriam for all the people who have died too which i think uh is a was a worthwhile task because these yeah. families are ruined, the parents are ruined, and it's one aspect of this case that's very strange. Is these people they met these men almost were like des- destined to have a positive impact on humanity. It's like they're not guys in and out of juvie or you know ten criminal records. A lot of these guys are like athletes who have achieved in college, and you know will probably go on to be con- con- positive contributors to society but that didn't happen so there's like a loss there that's uh almost extant in every one of those cases so i think that it is kind of like a non it's not a pleasant thing to do but i think that it's nice i think it's important and necessary it's definitely taking its toll like i have a totally different life i do i make decisions and uh do things that maybe other people wouldn't do like i can't go on a book tour like i know people would like you know People threaten me and stuff like that. So you you feel 
at times let your life is actually at risk because of the work that you do, but it's uh, a ministry. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, you said that your um, initial uh, investigations into Alistair Crowley had impacted your decision to, to link these, these crimes or to investigate these crimes further. Um, what, what a, could you give a little background on Alistair Crowley for people that aren't familiar in, in, Say so your your book, uh, the Beast, Children uh, of the Beast, right? Children Crowley of the Beast. Crowley called himself the Beast, right? That was kind of right. the, the name he gave himself. So, Children of the Beast, also kind of the title alludes to the fact that like some of these uh, people, like Crowley, if they're followers, they called them their magical children, right? So they're like almost like they're not their blood child, but they become an ideological child of where the master teaches the child, right? So children of the beast kind of alludes to this concept of Crowley being called the beast. And these are his magical children, but it was, I mean, it was through the research of Crowley that kind of led me on the trail of the smiley face killers. Crowley was, he was born in 1875. He died in 1947. And he's probably the most written about and did the most writing on the occult in human history. Like he really dedicated his life to research, researching esotericism from the East as well, and really fusing it together into his own religion that he called Thelema. And uh, he made, and there's a quote in my book, Prophet of Evil, that he was going to say, he said, I'm going to overthrow Christianity. I don't remember verbatim, but he said, I'm going to overthrow Christianity. And at the end of the century, there will be the sunset of Crowleyanity. So he was really actually had very ambitious goals with his religion. And but he was also like a mountaineer, so he's an adventurer, a poet, and an occultist. And he really never had to work. He came from a very wealthy family in England, really at the time of the apex of the British Empire, right? The British Global Empire. So he had a, that's that kind of imperial sensibility and also a very class kind of consciousness uh, that may not be as overt here in the states, but. Uh, he considered himself as the highest class. He went to the best schools, boarding schools, and really, you know, just didn't have that kind of life where he ever had a nine-to-five job. And I think that uh, really kind of imparted itself into his kind of doctrines. But uh, he wrote, like, he uh, wrote so much, so much stuff about the occult. Some of his famous works are like Magic in Theory and Practice, which is like a practitioner's book for magicians. But also, he said he had this kind of the most important event of his life happened in 1904, April 1904 in Egypt, where he supposedly had an entity dictate a book to him over his shoulder. And that book was the book of the law and it became the centerpiece of his religion. And so uh, he went on, he kind of was all over the world. He was in the United States kind of uh, as an Intel agent. It's really back then it was called the secret intelligence, SIS. It didn't become broken up into kind of the MI5, MI6 yet, um, the British kind of imperial intel agent. He was an asset of theirs, probably all the way to his death. But um, he was in the States making sure the U.S. got into the war on British side. He actually came to the state, States on the Lusitania, and then the Lusitania got sunk, and that was really what flipped the switch of the U.S. to enter, really decisively enter World War One, And... Uh, Really let the groundwork for World War II, which is very strange. But um, yeah, so Crowley's history, he went to Italy, he was in France, got kicked out of France and Italy, Germany, right around the Weimar Republic, came back. He was a, a heroin addict. But I think that the really the 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 doctrines that really kind of bled out of Crowley was do what thou wilt should be the whole of the law. So it was really human will, and there's no man but God, no God but man. So uh, mm-hmm. You know, he had these doctrines and died in 1947, but left a huge corpus of work. And so a lot of people go through these Crowley phases, if not outright, if they're interested in the occult, if not outright following him, being influenced by his thought and his doctrines and his ideas about ceremonial magic. And he was, was a ceremonial magician. To, oh, I'm sorry. Was he a, a precursor to Anton LaVey then? I think so. I think you, if you went through and looked at almost every major occultist, 
of the post-World War II period, there's an influence or a reference to Crowley or Crowley's books. And mm-hmm. Anton LaVey knew kind of Crowley's follower, this guy by the name of McMurtry, who ended up in Berkeley. But McMurtry knew Crowley and was considered, well, considered himself to be an heir of Crowley. And uh, LaVey talks about McMurtry and says, you know, I'm not part of those Crowley types. Like he knowingly kind of uh, shied away from them personally and ideologically, but he was aware of what their doctrines were. So okay. uh, most of these guys are like that too, whether it's uh, the founder of the Temple of Set, Michael Aquino, um, Process Church. A lot of the founders went through a Crowley phase or investigated Crowley. Same thing about Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard. So the the Crowleyan ideas influenced a lot of these kind of cult figures and secret societies. I, I find it extremely interesting that he had ties to intelligence. And you do see um, people in high-level positions in intelligence and the military and and government that have these ties to these uh, occulted uh, occultic organizations or references or symbology tied to them. Uh, is there any um, inclination that there's a connection between the smiley face killers and, and anything along those lines? I've, it, it's a I good question. A little bit, there's but. been like people who've died in rivers who, uh, had connections to kind of like the big pharma and stuff like that. So I don't know, but there are those, those kind of elite connections between Intel and occult are, are overt. They're obvious. And when you talk about Aquino, I mean, the really good book on Crowley as being an asset is uh, by Richard Spence. It's called secret agent 666. He's kind of uh, discovered an article that said the U S knew that Crowley was an asset of British intelligence. They acknowledged it and knew it, like they were aware of what he was doing and all of his kind of uh, ridiculous public displays and things like that that he was doing in the U.S. He tore up his passport in the Hudson Hudson Bay. Hmm. But another one is Aquino, too, right? He, he was a colonel in the military, a PSYOP kind of guy. He wrote uh, from PSYOP to Mind War, kind of an advancement. Of the Pardon me? He's got the crazy eyebrows, right? Correct. Just like Crowley, actually. Crowley has a picture of the same eyebrows as uh, Aquino. Mm-hmm. Aquino was uh, clearly a PSYOP officer, and the, some one of his guys, he wrote that article with, is still around. Forgot his last name, but he's actually on Fox News all the time. So you think you're not getting PSYOPed or some kind of military PSYOP, you're naive. Um, but also, like we t- talked about earlier about Skull and Bones, like these guys are all over politics, but they're bonesmen. They made initiations, and uh, they've been in a tomb. And Crowley himself said, you know, the devil is the Lord of initiation. So that should tell you a lot about people who get initiated, whether you're in the Masons or the Skull and Bones or anything like that. And these allegiances or these oaths that they swear um, tend to override any civil commitment that they that they appear to have. And, and so it's right. Good point. What, it's interesting to me that that. You know, there's a seedy underbelly, and and uh, sometimes it, people think it, it's um, going down the rabbit hole too far, or or whatever, um, kind of turns them off, or or maybe it's just that you don't want to look into the abyss, and, and there's some dark things there. Um, I I do um, appreciate and and have a lot of respect for for the fact that you're able to do that, and I just wonder how do you stay grounded. And avoid burnout um, when when you're dealing with question. question. I mean, I think that it's it's a part of my personality of not knowing. Like I didn't grow up in a situation where somebody said, you know, there's a lot more to the story than this. A lot of human event stories and a lot of stories that we've been fed is fake history, superficial fake history. And Mm -hmm. so I think that that kind of keeps me interested and glued to the information. It's like having an alternate history. I mean, I, people have called me a dissident. I don't feel like a dissident at all. I just want my constitutional rights and know the truth, you know, without without the kind of rigmarole or, or taint of like some kind of artificial binary political thing, whether I'm a Democrat or Republican or left or right or a liberal or conservative. What really happened? Because a lot of this stuff, 
even the liberals, the so-called left wing can pull doozies on people too. Um, and it's really a uniparty at the top. And the, those secret agreements are really more important. And you see it in these uh, secret societies where, like, I've studied the Order of Nine Angles and police, their doctrines, if you believe it, they are above the law. They did not believe in the, the normal legal system. So they do things above the law. So, but avoiding burnout, you know, you just, uh, I think it's really just trying to like filter out the real understanding. Because I think the corporate media actually is in, engaged in almost kind of like hypno programming of the entire public. It's worse than mind control in a very simple level or worse than um, kind of simply lying to you or propagandizing you. They actually, the mass media homogenizes people. It makes them almost into a Borg, one giant unit where you almost are, you might as well have a neural link in your brain if you're watching TV and getting the same nonsense, uh, same blatant lies over and over. So something much more profound is happening. And I think that my books and kind of research uh, work to chip away at this kind of, you know, people who are in the alternate media or have been exposed to these other ideas they call them normies you know like oh yeah he's a normie he's watching tv what's worse than that they've actually had a lot of their personality and character shaped in a very sinister way by very sinister people with very sinister aims and it's Mm -hmm. kind of like a lot of these decisions that these people make like their character really isn't their own because they've been influenced so deeply whether they become drug addicts or um they make really bad decisions for themselves. They're encouraged to do it by the powers that be and the propaganda that comes out of the psyops and mind war that the U S government is clearly in, in, engaged in. It's very deep, very profound. So I think that kind of the, my attempt, whether it's tilting at wind windmills or, or windmills or not, is no. is trying to counteract that. Well, you, you must have a, a fair amount of success because uh, you talk to uh, many different people from many different ink, you know, as far as subject matter goes, this uh, it's a little atypical from what, what I usually focus on, but because I I respect what you do so much and, and the work that I've seen. And um, I think it's important because there's uh, I study, I I study and talk about propaganda quite a bit, uh, but, the application uh, of the propaganda is uh, stuff that you touch on a little more in your work and, and the way you're able to articulate that. Um, you said something before that stuck out to me. Uh, the smiley face killer phenomenon has increased since the COVID lockdowns. Yeah, no doubt. The subtle cane podcast is a value for value operation and relies on your generosity and support for any and all income. Typically, this is where I ask for donations to the show to help cover the cost of the time and effort that I put into creating this content for you. However, as the holidays are upon us, and there are many in the world less fortunate than myself, I would ask this. If you have received any value at all from my efforts here, I humbly request that you return that value in the form of time, talent, and or treasure to a local charity of your choosing. We should always be thinking about those less fortunate than ourselves. But the Dickensian picture of Scrooge's unfortunate night of reflection and prognostication always helps me get in the mood to reach out and be a blessing to others. So please, give where you can and know that it matters. You can always email me at subtlecane at protonmail.com. That's subtlecane at protonmail.com. I still don't actually know what the purpose of Telegram is for me, but... There is a Subtle Cane podcast account if you're interested. You can reach me there as well. Let's get back to it. There, there was actually kind of a rampage of these types of deaths in Chicago. There was 10 or 15 within the last, you know, 18 months. And it became known there, like there was like known that there was a serial killer in Chicago, you know, attacking people at night. So that was one. And then they had this, this like five in a row in Austin, which really isn't expected to be a hotspot. It really wasn't. Texas almost was off the radar until very recently, and then they had these types of killings there. So those are a couple. And then there's just ones around the country, New York. I think I had one in a kind of a strange place in uh, I think it was Alabama. Um, so 
So it's it's definitely picked up. Oh, there's one, two in Toronto, three in Toronto, three in Vancouver. Like it's unbelievable. So it shows that this there's some kind of communication or something going on, whether it's a cult, a group, a secret group, a me- underground message board, dark web. Somebody has figured out how to have this modus operandi, how to do it and actually go through with it and get away with it. Yeah. Well, that's in the my, thing. In my opinion. Thinking. Um, it, it can't just be some long haul trucker making stops at all these places. There's way too much of it and for way too long of a time. So, yeah, it's it's, it's seems- a new phenomenon. Like, that's the whole thing. It's the first book. Criminologists, law enforcement probably haven't seen anything like this. It's not in their record books, right? And it's also seen as an accident. So why would they view these as um, misadventure? I don't think they're accidents at all. Nobody sees these people. Of all those cases that I have in my book, 350, yeah. 370, something like that, nobody sees oh, them go oh. in the water. They just assume it in their minds. Okay, he must have tripped and fell or something. And that's very powerful because... I mean, if you were a like, uh, you know, high level, why would why would you accept that as fact? Why would you accept that as evidence? You know, if you were like a, you know, uh, murder mystery detective or something like that, like they would never accept that as 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 evidence because nobody saw him go in the water. There, nobody said that. Oh yeah, John, I'm leaving this bar two a.m. I'm gonna have a couple drinks and go hop in the lake. You know, I'll see you tomorrow. Nobody ever says that in shallow water. Shallow water, often very shallow, like ponds. Like, why don't you just pop back out? Like, it doesn't make any. It doesn't make sense. A lot of these are obviously super suspicious. And the smiley face itself is not is not present all the time, but there's a a number of cases where there is actually a smiley face noted in the general area. Is my understanding. Yeah, they're fine. If they find graffiti, there may be other meaningful graffiti around, um, but there's a lot of just strange kind of like sigil stuff going on in some of these cases that really shouldn't be ignored. I mean, it's easy to discount it, but I mean, some of these people definitely, there's definitely a smiley face. I think of Kevin Hart in um, Rhode Island, like somebody found a smiley face. This most recent case, one of the cases in Chicago, his name was a Seamus Gray. Like it fits all the patterns of the smiley face. And then they found an ob- overt smiley face. Like, I don't know if somebody's just, you know, culture jamming or having a, having a fast one uh, over people. But some of these cases, they've, that's how the Gilbert and Gannon, like that's how they, this whole phenomenon got its name is because they found stuff like uh, Doug Gibe in Michigan. Somebody put a smiley face on his gravestone like as a joke. And it kind of, fits in with this kind of con the joker concept the joker archetype the comedian archetype right and it goes back and kind of overlaps like the comedian goes to vietnam because he likes violence and laughs about it like he wasn't there because he got signed up for war it's that he he liked it and so the average person may not have that mentality but some of these people out there there's a small proportion of humanity i don't i'm not a psychologist i don't have this but there are people who like hurting other people or sadists right so then yeah. they, may find their, they may find their own little click of sadists and there's people there's people of all different types of tastes i mean some of them are just very benign they like to needlepoint or paint on oils right but then some people's taste may be such that they have to um hide it and and because of the internet or communications they may be finding other people who are fellow travelers and the stories of serial murderers working together there's lead there are legions of them right there's a lot of stories of guys two or three guys working together and committing murders over and over i think of the ripper crew i've covered them in chicago of all places right but their um, victims were females but they did horrible 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 stuff to women and the guy who was the head of it was a flat-out occultist like he was a stone-cold satanist so maybe something like that's going on. I don't have, I can only, like, I have an internet connection and a semi-functioning brain, you know, that can put things together. But, like, the police really should be doing all this work and law enforcement should be doing this work. They should be doing the work of categorizing. That's what they get paid taxes for. 
So, I mean, the tax money pays for that, as I should say. So it is kind of strange that they can't or won't come to a public conclusion that this is happening. I know that they've, law enforcement that is, has prohibited from bringing things like uh, serial killers to light. I think Jeffrey Dahmer is the last major serial killer that, that garnered a lot of press. It isn't that we haven't had more. I think because of the uh, incentive maybe for that is that is that law enforcement's um, motivation that they don't want to put a spotlight on on, on that kind of behavior or those kind of crimes or, or do I don't they, know you know they came out of, I start my book off that they said there's no connection in 2010 right so they may have written it off back then but uh i think the more recent events really show that the phenomenon is happening but i mean there's so much politics and everything a lot of our our um uh, administrative bodies have been corrupted and politicized and are outside of kind of like your, your standard outlook like what's the politics of this everything's political so maybe that has something to do with it you know i don't know i i do think that uh, i mean my book is kind of like a warning to the public like this is really happening if you go out at night, be careful. Most women, when they go out at night, they have a hyper, they're hyper vigilant, right? They know because the stories are legion about women being abused, raped, drugged, whatever. Um, so they guard their drink and they don't trust strangers and things like that. But men don't seem to, they may not have that same kind of hyper vigilance. Like I'm going to get as drunk as I want and walk home. And if I fall asleep on somebody's lawn, they may not think that there's a predator out there. But, you know. You, you mentioned was, Dahmer. Dahmer was a stone cold predator, like yeah. drugging. I mean, you want to talk about similar overlap between these cases and Dahmer? He was traveling around. He was out at late at night. He was got busted drugging people. He's constantly drugging his victims. Some survived, some didn't. Um, he had to move from Milwaukee. I kicked out of like a gay, not gay bar, like a bathhouse, and then had mm -hmm. to go to Chicago. So then he started finding victims in Chicago, south of Milwaukee. So you see that mobility, right? So, you know, somebody like him could be involved in these cases for sure. And one of the cases I have a whole section on in my chapter on offender typology, and there's this guy in Manchester. They have these cases there too. They call him the Manchester Pusher. His name was Reynard Sanaga. And the, the UK government thought that the prosecution of him was so important that they didn't, they put a like a, a silence order on it. So they didn't even publicize it in the media until he got convicted, which is really strange. They do things. I mean, you want to talk about lack of freedom. UK does a lot of different things, a lot of things differently there. But yeah. this guy, Reynard Tanaga, his MO was to go out at 2 a.m. He waited or slept and then got out and he found his victims. They were all drunks. Right. And he liked to go after men. He was gay, men who weren't gay. And then he'd bring them home drunk and have a drink, and then it would it would be drugged, and then he would abuse them. And he, they think that that guy raped like 200 people. The only reason that they, they found out how many people he was doing it to is that they got his phone where he recorded everything. So he kept a record of everything. But what is really interesting about Sainaga is that on the surface, he looks like the most benign, um, least least harmful person on earth, not big. He was like from Indonesia, you know, kind of maybe a, a, people stereotyped him as kind of a, you know, non-threatening Asian guy or something. But he was uh, brutal. And what, maybe what, and what happened? Maybe some of the people he drugged died. So what did he have to do? Go through them in, a, in, the, in the locks around Manchester. We don't know if they got caught him for all his crimes. Same thing for a lot of these other killers is that is this the first time they've killed? I would say most of these like Koberger in uh, Moscow. I bet that's not the first time he's done it. But um, so same thing with some of these other people get caught. Are they involved in these smiley face types of killings? There was a guy in uh, in the UK as well who had um, used GHB to drug uh, young men that he met on a, a gay dating app. And then he had left them, I believe, in a in a cemetery along a wall. Um Think they're, they're, His name was Stephen Port. Okay, yeah, parking. So East London. 
And he was up to no good. He was doing all kinds of weird stuff with GHB. He would drug people with GHB. He was on those gay gay apps. And um, it's an interesting case because he was able to get away with it. Like the police got like fooled by him. And all he put like four of his victims in a church cemetery area close to him and wrote fake suicide notes or like memorial notes. And the police are like, okay, I guess these guys are dying. And what what it took to actually find out that he was doing it was one of the family members of the victims kept bothering the police for CCTV video of their loved one. I can't remember one of the victim's name of the night that he disappeared. So like, mm-hmm. show me the video, show me the video. And then so the police, like, finally, they just gave in and gave the video to the family. And they had the video of their loved one. And he's walking around with Stephen Port. And I said, who's this guy? Why don't you look into this guy? Who is this guy? And the yeah. police are like, well, I don't know, you know. And they're like, this was the person last seen with him before he died. Like, it's like simple. Like, you don't even have to be a cop to figure that out. So then they found Stephen Port, and he had already been like um, censured or something. He had been busted for drugging somebody before, and they started looking into him. And they looked at all these other cases that were associated with him, and he was like a full-on serial killer, kind of hiding in plain sight. Is there is there a that that reminds me of that Conorac synthesone that that the police had found Dahmer with and then returned him right to him? Is there a correlation with the smiley face killers as far as the the victims? Is there a percentage of them that a higher percentage of them that are in the gay community? Is this a? It seemed like that was in a very. Uh, um, cursory overview it seemed like there was an over preponderance of gay victims and the first victims that i saw back in 2016 a lot of them were gay so joey labute was gay dakota james was gay so there is there seems to be a higher proportion but not all of them but there is a there is a connection between gay apps too so i think joey labute was on a gay app the night he disappeared out of columbus ohio and same with dakota james and some of these other guys so uh, but not all of them. Like some of these guys are just in random places at random times, and some are clearly not. I mean, maybe they have they're like secretly gay, but they're not. Some are not clearly overtly gay. I think some of the Toronto cases are are interesting because I think their guys are like South Asian, like they're from the India Pakistan area, and then they found out that they they do have like a conventional heterosexual life but they are also like bisexual right and so mm-hmm. some of those have been the case and that was actually interesting and overlap with another t- toronto serial killer his name was macarthur and he was he was killing but he wasn't dumping him in rivers he was like stashing bodies but he was he kind of it seemed like he was pre- uh, a predator towards this kind of south asian indian uh ethno ethno type and remind me again, how, you said over 300 cases now? With the Since 1997, yeah. That's, I, think, I actually think my more accurate list, like my book is pretty exhaustive. It's 400 pages. But I think that I could probably put another 100 pages of 100 more cases. So I think worldwide, we're somewhere between 400 and 500 cases. Oh, my goodness. This is uh, That's quite a project to undertake. How do you... How do you it's, even search for? <laughs> I mean, I think like you can look through the book. Like, I'm not relying at all on my research. So I mentioned yeah. very other important researchers, like Euronymous uh-huh. uh, Bog, a box, or whatever. I forgot his name now. And then uh, Footsteps at the River's Edge, who compiled 140 cases domestically and internationally. Um, I also Jim Smith, who's compiled cases. So a lot of these cases, oh, and another one is um, uh, Cryptid Antiquarian in Boston. She compiled a lot of the Boston cases. So these cases come on, and it's a kind of a, been an off and on project for years. So I, the, the book was kind of like a data dump for me. Like, here's all the data and all the other people. Because there's other people researching this, this, not just me. And so that's kind of like why the first sentence in my book is like, this is the history of the research into the smiley face killers. Cause I think it's important to include those other re- researchers in their perspectives 
because they overlap with a lot of other people and shows that other people are not noticing, right? Capital N, yeah. like this is obviously not just me. It's like somebody in Boston and somebody in Chicago and somebody over there. Um, but also how it's how it's unfolded over time as more and more cases. Like the last 10 chapters of my book are like recent cases, like 30 guys who've died in the last year, year or so. Oh my goodness. Um, now that you're done with this book, are you, what are you, what's your current project? What are you working on now? Or is that top secret? I just don't really ever talk about the projects until they're completed, but I'm busy. Like I have two projects I'm supposed to end finish by the end of this month. So I have to really get to it. Um, but, uh, 2024 will be a very interesting year for me. There's no question about it. So, you know. Well, um, where can people, I, you have five deck. I've, I've mentioned this in the precursor, but you have five documentaries. I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head, how many books you've got a, a true crime podcast. that's right up there at the top 1%. Um, so I really encourage people to check out William Ramsey investigates and um, where, where else can people find you? It's in the top 0.5%. So it's in the top 15,000 podcasts in the world. And you can find it on any podcast distributor, iTunes, Google. Um, but my books you can buy on Amazon. You can get them from my website. You can buy them from me. I'll send you signed copies. And all five of my documentaries are now on my Patreon page. So all you have to do is just spend five bucks and you can watch the two documentaries on the Smiley Face Killers, the one on Prophet of Evil, the one on Children of the Beast, and then Occult Hollywood too, which was kind of one of my earliest projects. I should get back to that kind of theme because I have a lot of information on that. But um, I think there'd be a lot of interest because it's been it's been getting so much more blatant. Yeah. Um, the occult imagery in, in entertainment in general. This um, whole, I mean, I talk about this one all the time, but it's the Bad Habits video by Ed Sheeran is just a straight download of Order of Nine Angles ideology. It's incredible. Sun goes down turns into a vampire sun comes up he comes back to a normal person so is something like that happening with these smiley face killings where these guys are occultists who think they shape shift and then mm -hmm. come back and walk around normally in life i mean i don't know but something strange is going on but yeah the occult is really i mean it's just so probable i mean you can go like on netflix and like there's sure stories about positive stories about witchcraft and girls teens being witches and you know acclimating people to this kind of a cult worldview. It's not, you almost find no, I mean, it's interesting how quick the U S culture has changed. Cause growing up, we used to watch the 10 commandments on TV and, you know, the greatest story ever told religious stories about Christians. You can't find any positive Christian story on Netflix or the mass media now. So they, the, the bad guys have really changed the culture in the worst way possible. As as a Christian, I I think about the idea that we are uh, created beings with an innate desire to worship, and and I just wonder sometimes if the uh, the fact that we've turned into this secular, or at least it's a professed secularism, uh, it still manifests itself. We need the supernatural, and so it manifests itself as you get away from God and from traditional Christian values seems to manifest itself somehow, some way. And the, the increase in the occultic um, imagery and the interest in, in the supernatural. And it, it's an interesting it's point there. The cult is interested in supernatural. They have a supernatural worldview, maybe more so than even some Christians who are like, yeah, I'm not sure about all the miracles or demon possession or things like that. So, uh, yeah, so these things get supplanted, you know, and I think it's a, uh, it's a shame. I, I this country's gone totally antichrist and like a disaster area in in just my short term of life, fifty years. Like it's mm -hmm. it's a hellscape, man. Right now, it's it's horrible. And that's kind of one of the reasons why, like you say, why am I writing all these books? How do I endure it? Because it's in front of my face all the time, and I know how bad it's got. Like. I grew up in San Francisco and it's like, I think there's that book, San Francisco. I have to read it by Schellenberger, but 
It was a beautiful, thriving town, tons of shopkeepers. It was safe. There was very little crime, to my knowledge. I don't remember ever being unsafe in San Francisco. There was different kind of parts of the city that kind of got along, Chinese, Italians. And a lot of it's just boarded up and gone. And they had this, like, whole thing with um, DeSantis showing, like, you know, the poop chart and all that. And you, you that's a bad chart. You should see the car break-in chart. It's incredible. Almost Every part of that whole city has had a car break and reported to the police. Those are the ones reported to the police. So it's literally on a like a down downward spiral headed towards oblivion, doom loop. They call it a doom loop. And that's how fast the culture changes. It's almost like an anti-civilizational push. It's off the charts. It's really happened. It's like, yeah, like how did this, how did you losers let this happen? That's your political leader. I mean, the we can get in a vote fraud and things like that, but um, it's bad. Well, all you have bad, to do is have a, have a communist come to town and it seems to clean up pretty quickly. Good point. Like they'll clean it up for a communist, but they won't clean it up for their own citizens. And it shows you what a bunch of losers we've got as politicians, particularly in California, because that's where I'm at and that's where I've lived. But the, obviously, how who could vote for these people? Like you're insane. Like you might as well vote for Jeffrey Dahmer. Like these guys are involved in so much degradation and death. Like these these guys create so much misery. These people go and get fentanyl and kill themselves. Like because they can't get a job, they can't protect their own. You can't even protect your own property now, or they'll throw you in jail and, and let the criminal out with a five dollar bond. Like it's it's intent intended to destroy, and that they've successfully done it. Yeah. These people are demons. They're totally evil. Like I don't know how people can even tolerate this. It's just incredible. It 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 makes uh, I think the younger generation, especially not knowing what we did, because um, I'm I'm relatively close to your age, and um, the the world we grew up in was so much different than this one. And this is kind of what they know. But um, they're all stressed out. They all have high anxiety. They've mm-hmm. gone through the fake pandemic. They've gone through misery like the, nothing that I've ever experienced. I had no no of these psychological, these vicious anti-human psychological operations with a bioweapon. You know, these kids. Yeah. Have, I mean, the people who run this country are evil as hell. They're anti-God, anti-human. They're monsters. They're literally like serial killers. I don't know why people think they're anything different. I don't know how anybody respects these. Joe Biden's <laughs> approval rating should be zero. I say it all the time. There's no excuse. It's not tolerable. It should just should be zero. His whole administration is a the worst in this country's history. It's just obvious. They can't even do anything right. They've never done anything right. They're losers. <laughs> They're stupid. No, I'm serious. Pretty it's only one on policy that. decision that he's done right. No, I can't. I don't. Um, yeah, I. I you get when you, when you have ballot fraud and vote fraud this bad these people are never have to do a good job they're not tied to the population they, there's no incentive structure at least in a corporation or if you work at mcdonald's or you work for big mac you show up at work you you put out and you get assessed john did this good he's because for service isn't good these politicians it doesn't matter because it's all yeah. fraud so they know it's fraud and so they defrauded all of us and they're basically criminals and they're thieves and they've stole the country so Joe Biden's approval rating should be zero. And the fact that it's not is probably due to television and just propaganda like them lying. Like his press secretary is a stone cold sociopathic liar. Everything word out of her mouth is just baloney. It's a total joke. It, it's a, it's apparent. It's, it's, it's pretty obvious that uh, there's no reason to trust uh, the people in charge at this point. And uh, that, that's why I try to focus on what's in front of me and, and trying to, talk about propaganda and and the mechanisms and and stuff like that and that's why i think it's important for all of us and you're shedding light on obvi- some obviously it's dark material but it if it's happening and the argument is very very strong that it's happening and that you're making these connections and so we we have to be able to face reality as it is and um just watching another TikTok video and and taking another Prozac is is not not the uh, 
preferred method of sifting and winnowing through reality and, and finding the truth. So I thank you for, for the work that you do. Do you have any last words for people about what, about what you I do? Would or, say, I would or, say politics starts at the individual level. So if you get the right information, it'll affect everything you do, how you spend your time, how you accrue your money, how you talk to people, how you let people rule over you. So I think that that's kind of part of what I do. Like you don't see behind the curtain. And all my books are pretty much footnoted, except my most recent one is probably not as uh, rigorously footnoted as possible. But you can look it up my links. And uh, I don't get too many challengers. They just kind of call me a conspiracy theorist and run off. But, uh, yeah, things are great. And they they want the drugs in here to keep you anesthetized. It's the ultimate revolution, just like Huxley said, you know. So if you take those big pharma pills they really don't they don't make you happy they just put you in a fugue state anyway so the antidepressant is just another fake label from a bunch of snake oil salesmen contemptible snake oil salesmen so be careful like everything's just total deception and lies these days but uh yeah if you want to you can go by my podcast i've had so many different guests on so many different subjects i'm actually at 1100 episodes and you can people can go back through and people like what's really strange is i'm getting more listeners going through my old catalog per day than looking at a new episode. So people are going, Oh, you did a show Rosemary's baby. I'll check that out. You did a show on the central park five. I'll check that out. You did a show on the serial killer. I did a show on the woman who was like one of the first people to be at Dahmer's apartment in Milwaukee. So you've done a lot of good work on the West Memphis three as well. I've followed that quite a bit. And, really have your um t's crossed and your eyes dotted when it comes to that whole situation there so i encourage people to look into that too you have a lot of material and and interviews um about the west memphis three including the book and i believe a documentary Uh, i have a lot of videos on my youtube channel which suddenly rematerialized out of nowhere they took it away from me back in 2021 and now it's back so the uh Wizards of Oz kind of, I don't know. I think what they're doing is probably try to get me to put my stuff on there so then they can take it back again in this election cycle. That's how malevolent they are, but that's what (laughs) I really think is happening. But uh, yeah, I did a lot of old videos on that. And one of the things I've done is like, I've never been, it's not like something to brag about, but I've never been sued. I've been threatened to be sued, but nobody's ever handed me litig- you know, papers, and it's been 13 years. So a lot of the stuff I can back up with other documents. You know, it's like it's not like I'm making it up to to you know to the later tickle people's ears or something like. This is what is in the record. I think being a lawyer probably helps dissuade people from wanting to sue you. <laughs> yeah, no, it helps a lot. It also keeps me out of trouble. Like I don't do things that I can't substantiate. Yeah. So I think that that's it. Like I'm not trying to. You know, uh, I'm trying to just look at the real basic facts and do something substantive and edify people. And I think that that's kept me out of, you know, going to court a lot or things like that. Well, I I thank you once again, William, for coming on today. And I sincerely appreciate it. And uh, I hope to talk to you again. I will be following uh, William Ramsey investigates.com. I'm going to put some links into your work uh, uh, to your work uh, in my show notes for people. And um, God bless you. Thank you so much God for bless you too. Time. God bless you too. Good to be with you, Aaron. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. It can be hard to imagine what type of mind would take pleasure in the destruction of another person. Unfortunately, we know that individuals are out there who are capable of horrendous crimes against humanity. As I've stated before, the real battles we face are not of flesh and blood, but of spirits and principalities and powers of the air. William rightly recognizes the war on our minds, and his research and work to bring the truth out into the light is another example of how important it is that we all find our calling and do our best to speak truth to power. I encourage you to follow the links in the show notes to William's work, not out of some morbid fascination, but to help us recognize the reality that the enemy is here to steal, kill, and destroy. Thankfully, we know how the story ends, and in the end, who will stand victorious. We must always remember that we are all capable of being the monsters we fear and the saints we revere. Who we choose to follow and how we choose to conduct ourselves 
matters. For all you listening, you are valued, you are loved, and you are worthy. God bless and good night. Yeah.